G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. We're going to be talking about the Australian Bureau of Statistics, their release of brand new data this week, providing a picture of the economic, social and cultural makeup of Australia. It's the result of every one of us taking that time to fill out our forms on census night last year. The results that are emerging now are perhaps the most anticipated in a generation. It's the first ever census conducted during a pandemic. And this census shows us just how dramatically things can change in just five years. For Christians, we've been watching the progression away from a nation that affirms its Christian faith to a point where the latest figures show a dip to just 44% of us identifying as Christian. We're checking in today with social researcher Jeff Braley from McCrindle Research for insights into the census and changing trends. Jeff, a special welcome back to 2020. Thank you very much for having me. It's exciting to come and uh, be able to share about census data on a Friday. I'm sure this is a topic at the top of everyone's Friday celebrations. It's certainly been an exciting week as social researchers, as demographers. We've had cake and, yeah, I'm really excited. I hope people have got their questions ready and I've got a lot of great, interesting insights from the latest census. Well, no doubt as a social researcher, you're almost salivating, waiting for this week to to turn up because uh, this is the sort of stuff you live for, Jeff. And uh, take us back, though, to census night last year. It was a different census night because it was a pandemic census. Things were rather different in the way that people ordinarily responded to their census forms. Uh, What what was different about, uh, about last year, given that we're in the middle of a pandemic? Yeah, in August 2021 on that Tuesday night, we were all uh, at home and it certainly was a census like no other. The collection itself happening in the middle of the pandemic with many of the East Coast states in lockdown and certainly it was a chance for us to have something to do on that evening. It was a bit of a a novelty almost, something planned that actually happened in 2021. Certainly our expectations of the year 2021 uh, were different to our reality, but the census was a great outcome in terms of the collection of data. We had in 2021, 96.1% of households complete the survey, and that was an increase of 1% from last uh, last census in in 2016. It was up from 95.1% of households and more people took the census online naturally a good good outcome again getting great quality of data so that we could make better decisions planning for the future and the census itself happening during a pandemic was unique in that in 2021 only 60,000 overseas visitors were in Australia on census night compared to 300,000 five years ago so we had just a fifth of overseas visitors on census night And we actually had half a million less Australians overseas. So we were all back in the nest and they're filling out that census form on the 10th of August 2021. So it was a pretty unique uh, night. And actually, even on the night, there was over two million people more at home compared to five years ago. So more people 
naturally under lockdown in their homes taking that census. So the ABS, I'm sure, were pretty pleased to have great quality of data collection and the uh, lockdowns and pandemic played their small part. Something good that came out of that uh, terrible ordeal we all went through. Jeff, two million more people at home on census night than the last census. Does this mean that the data that has been now gathered on all Australians is actually probably more accurate than perhaps it's ever been? Yeah, that's absolutely right. It's a it's a real privilege to have a census collected every five years, and the Australian nation is is very supportive. With over ninety six percent of people uh, of households taking the survey, so the quality of the data continues to improve. And Australians have got into the habit after every five years. We know that census night comes around, and this time we didn't have anything else on. But we've used paper forms in the past. We've used the online survey this time around, and. Uh, four out of five households use that online survey. So we're collecting incredible quality data. The ABS sends out over 30,000 workers to help collect that. And that's an incredible achievement. And many thanks to any uh, participants who were working for the ABS as uh, collectors of the data. It's an incredible achievement that we've been able to get 96% of households filling out that survey. And now the fun part of diving into the data. So it's a real joy as demographers to have that data at our fingertips for the next five years. We've only just uh, finished looking at the 2016 data and we'll hear a few stats from that one as well today. Well, Jeff, most of my conversations so far this week when it comes to census data have been around the religion question and we'll get to that in our conversation, but uh, it's easy to get distracted into one focused area, particularly if we're the national Christian broadcaster here, and so we want to unpack those sorts of issues around the religion question and the numbers dropping to 44%. We'll get to that shortly, but let's bring in the context of where we're at so far as this uh, census data goes. And I know you've been talking through and, uh, you know, trying to keep things in an orderly uh, fashion. We'll try and get through as much as we can uh, in this hour-long conversation. But let's start with our population in Australia. A question here is, is our Australia's population rebalancing? What might that mean and how do the numbers look? Yeah, the Australian population uh, rebalancing question is a really interesting area to explore. The population in Australia, even if we think back 100 years ago, we had uh, about two, uh, one out of three people lived in a capital city. At the moment, it's two out of three people living in a capital city. What we've grown from, though, over the 100 years, since 1921 in that census, we were a nation of 5.4 million people. And that's the current population size of Sydney today. Whereas today in Australia, we are at 25.4 million people when the census was collected. And so we've grown by 20 million people over the last 100 years. But that growth hasn't been balanced evenly across the regions and the cities. We are living in an era of urbanisation where people want to live in the capital cities predominantly for those uh, what you technically call the agglomeration benefits. And it's the benefits of having all the services, the shopping, the arts, the culture, the the transport services, the quality of 
parks, playgrounds, natural amenity on the city, on the doorsteps uh, of those beautiful cities that we've got in Australia, the eight capital cities. And so Australia certainly loves living in our capital cities, but we've heard and you've no doubt as listeners heard the trend of the rise of the regions. And during the pandemic, certainly more and more people are taking a little bit of a think about how they're living and reprioritising what matters to them and where they live and how they live their lives. And certainly the, the regions have experienced some growth of population, but still our capital cities are a great place to live. But the growth states over the last five years from the census data revealed that places like the ACT and Tasmania had some of the fastest growth out of all the capital cities, which might sound a surprise, but places like Tasmania which has a population of over half a million people, grew by almost 50,000 people in the last five years. And if we think back to the early 2000s, Tasmania was growing some years by just 500 people, whereas in the last five years it grew by 48,000 people, almost 10,000 people per year uh, adding to the population in Tasmania. So it's a really interesting story where our cap cities are certainly a great place to be, but there is a bit of a shift happening in the, uh, in the psyche of Australians and in the location of them as well. So I expect we'll continue to see urbanisation as a trend, but there is always the counter trend where people realise actually there are some lifestyle benefits, cost of living savings when you move to a regional area and uh, that quality of the location, those hidden pockets of paradise, I like to call them, across, across this beautiful land are worth accessing and enjoying, particularly in this work from home era where people can take the city job to a lifestyle location and uh, have the best of both worlds. Jeff, let's go through some of these points fairly quickly and we might be able to enlarge on some uh, when you say that on census night our population had grown to 25.4 million people. I wonder if there's thoughts here on how much did uh, closed borders, you know, for that roughly 18 months uh, at the time of the census, how much did that impact our population? Any thoughts here? Yeah, the growth of Australia over the last five years was 2 million people. We were at 23.4 million on the 2016 census night and in the 2021 census we're at 25.4 million. So we grew by 2 million people. Now that growth is largely what happened in the first three years of that uh, five-year window. Before the pandemic hit and the borders closed, uh, we had over a million migrants and 80% uh, of those arrived before the borders closed. So that's where the growth happened. It was in those first three years. And so the growth of our nation certainly slowed down in the last two years. So while it was a uh, pretty large number of people over the five years, it could have been higher, is I guess the point to make, that our growth slowed down and expecting that as borders now have reopened, this next five years might take a little bit to wind up the, uh, the systems again and uh, certainly a bit of a housing challenge currently, but expect that migration number to continue to rise, potentially even to new record levels as Australia looks to meet this uh, labour shortage that we currently face. So migrant numbers took a dip during the pandemic and if we look at overall Australians you know you have first Australians and you have people who are born here and then you've got a huge number of people who are migrants to Australia. Uh, what is the latest snapshot of our cultural diversity? Yeah this is a really interesting talking point. I think the cultural diversity narrative in Australia is one that we might often gloss over and the cultures that have been uh, 
top countries of birth for people who've moved to Australia. We've got uh, England is still number one. That's um, maybe no surprise to some people, but uh, the new countries of birth for migrants who've moved to Australia, in, uh, we've got New Zealand is in the mix. We've got India has risen to third place and we've got China and the Philippines. So it's a really interesting top five at the moment and China uh, has dropped a place there. So India is the one of the largest growing and fastest growing communities uh, in Australia and so in the last five years the Indian community grew by over 200,000 people and is approaching the million uh, people mark for our Australian uh, Indian-born residents. So it's a real privilege to have a lovely Indian community amongst us and spread right across our cap cities so there's a real uh, spread across where they're locating uh, we've got other fast uh, growing communities like ne the Nepalese community we've got the Pakistani the Iraqi communities with some of the fastest growing communities and it's interesting that some of the largest growing communities were places from uh, the Philippines uh, China and Vietnam so we certainly live in this Asia Pacific region it's a population epicenter and as a nation in Australia we certainly get that opportunity to benefit from uh, overseas migration it's an interesting story and the numbers at the moment we're almost at 29% of Australians born overseas so nearly three out of 10 Australians were born overseas. And if we go up a generation to, if your parent was born overseas, it's one in two Australians have a parent born overseas. So we're quite a young community uh, that's learning to get along together in a multicultural society. So certainly plenty of opportunities for leading communities, uh, for those serving and volunteering in churches, community groups. I think that's one of the key stories to keep an eye on. And high migrant numbers, what does that mean for the languages that we might be speaking at home. Any thoughts here? Yeah, in terms of the languages, it's certainly a, a reflection of where migration comes from. We've got Mandarin is one of the top languages spoken in our homes. We've got Arabic is another top language, Vietnamese, Cantonese, and for our Indian community, we've got Punjabi as well. Now, one of the really unique uh, findings from the census was that there's nearly 300 languages spoken in Australia. However, out of the languages uh, spoken, out of nearly 350 languages, 167 of them were Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander languages. So what a fascinating story that really reveals, that I think while there might be lots of variety out there, it's the, it's the Indigenous people, our First Nations people, who are creating a, a really great opportunity for any migrants to this land to learn about all the different languages that are part of the different tribes, nations across this beautiful land. So that's certainly a real talking point from this data that stood out as we were analysing it and certainly that 48% of all languages spoken in Australia were Indigenous languages was a real standout statistic. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. This is 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision Christian Radio. A real privilege today to have Jeff Braley as our guest. He's a social researcher with McCrindle Research. We're unpacking some statistics that were released this week in the census detail. You might have your own question or comment. Our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. Jeff, let's talk about household size, uh, the statistics from the census. Uh, to what extent did the relocating of households during the pandemic 
impact on the average household size? What is the census showing us? Yeah, this was a really curious area that we were one of those first areas we jumped into once the data came out because we, we had a bit of a theory, maybe because of the pandemic and some of the cost of living challenges, that era of uncertainty that, that we uh, endured, we wondered maybe more people had moved back into the family home and we, we thought that maybe the average people per household had gone up and it was at 2.6 people per household uh, in the 2016 data and we wondered if it might stay the same or even climb a, a couple of uh, small percentage points there. But interestingly, it actually declined just slightly down to 2.5 people per household. And that is the continued trend that we are living in households with fewer people. And a interesting trend that uh, I think with the cost of housing, let alone the cost of living, that one is something we think maybe that'll change. And in terms of the households in Australia, we actually have over 10 million households in Australia. However, one in 10 of those households is unoccupied. And so while we've got fewer people living in our homes, that number of a million households is steady from the 2016 census. It hasn't changed in any major way, but it really indicates that there is a chance to explore how could we unlock some of that unoccupied housing to ease some of the pressure in, whether it's in regional towns or in our cap cities, to, I guess, really improve the quality of living. And I'm sure we'll touch on the rental stress and cost of living a little bit later, but one of the curious things about our homes is that we've got almost 4 million households that are family households with children. Out of those, we've got a million households that are single-parent households, and 80% of those are single-mother Uh, single mothers with children in their household. So it's a really interesting story around how do we use the census data to see who's in our community, who lives in our cities, and how can we enhance and empower human flourishing? And at McCrindle, that's one of the things we love to talk about is how can we help make the quality of our lives better and better? We're certainly living longer and longer, and this census data gives us a chance to understand the people in our community and how we can change the way we uh, unlock unoccupied housing? How can we improve the way we live in a multi-generational society so that we have the better quality of living? And even just one final stat on Australian households, if you imagined Australia was a street of 100 households, 31 of those households would be couples with kids. 27 of those households would be couple-only households. 26% would just be a single-person household, and that went up uh, one percentage point from five years ago. We then have uh, 11% of single parent households and just 4% are group households. So the Australia Street is a really interesting way to look at the Australian population from the census. And we've got a brand new infographic uh, that people can Google search and you'll find that on our website. So Australia Street as a street of 100 households, a really unique way to look at it. A really unique way and easy way to actually get a head around those statistics. Uh, touching on 2.6 people per household, dropping down to 2.5 people. That must say something about the birth rates in Australia, and I guess that's impacted as we edge further up the ageing curve, uh, demographics and things like that. How are they looking surround uh, you know, low birth rates, uh, reduced migration? Uh, this is especially, as we said, uh, a different sort of a census because we're in the middle of a, middle of a pandemic. But what's it saying about uh, edging further up that ageing curve, Jeff? Yeah, the median ages for all our uh, cities is, is rising. We've got a 
aging population. We live in what we call the longevity boom, where we're living for longer and hopefully the quality of life stays strong all the way through. What is interesting, though, is those low uh, birth rate numbers. And during a period of uncertainty, the birth rate, total fertility rates have dropped to record lows. And it's, uh, it's a number, I think, that is understandable. I'm a millennial with uh, three kids and certainly know plenty of parents in this Gen Y age group would be thinking is now the right time and for some job security has been fine they might have had a, a job change and got that pay rise and certainly an opportunity to expand the family whereas others might have been in insecure work in the uh, whether it's cafes or uh, cultural industries tourism that's been affected by border shutdowns and so during these last uh, few years particularly those birth rates have continued to drop now that's, that said, we still have over 300,000 births every year across this country. We now have 3.7 million Generation Alphas, those born since 2010, the year the iPad was invented. And that's a, an increase uh, of over 1.6 million since the last census in 2016. So we do have a growing young population. The growth rate just hasn't been as high in previous years. And I imagine you talk birth rates being lower and we did mention a little earlier the necessity for rebalancing getting those migration rates in 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 uh, back into a balance because in some sense if you haven't got if you're not actually giving birth to the babies within the nation the 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 government is then tempted to bring in a migrant workforce that's got all sorts of uh, changing uh, possibilities hasn't it absolutely I think this is one of those um hidden topics in our society. We certainly talk about a lot around migration and do we want a big population and what does uh, cultural diversity look like? What are the opportunities and challenges in our society? But the story around our declining birth rate, I think, is a really unique one. We've had things like the baby bonus in uh, previous decades under different uh, political leadership. What is driving that low fertility rate, though, is things like cost of housing. It's a trend to now have... Uh, two parents working in that uh, early years. That's been a rising trend over the last decade. So how do we create uh, a healthy family life that's uh, in a city that's uh, in cities and towns sometimes that are becoming increasingly unaffordable? So plenty of challenges and topics to discuss around how do we uh, look at building that fertility rate? And, and I guess as a nation, is that something we want to explore? Do we want to have larger families again? That's certainly a, an era of maybe those baby boomers when they were kids who were part of large families, whereas today that total fertility rate's 1.64. So uh, small rates for our, our parents today. Let's take a call. Pat is on the line from Western Australia. Hello, Pat. Thanks so much for waiting patiently. Good morning, gentlemen. I hope I haven't misunderstood your guest comment but I just had a fleeting thought about the uh, he said the lowered fertility rate I'm wondering fertility rate as opposed to raised abortion rate I'm not wanting to open a Pandora's box but I just have that in my mind I think Jeff is going to be fine with that Jeff uh, thoughts here when we talk about fertility rates what are your thoughts for Pat yeah, thanks, Pat. That's a very important question. It's not something I've got the data at my fingertips, though. Um, sorry, Pat. And so I don't have a clear indication on the uh, any impacts of abortions on that for fertility rate right in front of me. I'm sorry. So I'm sorry to disappoint. I always love to provide a helpful answer, and that's um, unfortunately something I can't answer right on this at uh, this point. Interesting one, uh, Pat. To raise that because yes. 
population issues are very, very important. And I know that in past conversations when I've spoken to pro-life groups, they estimate somewhere in the vicinity of seventy to 90,000 abortions in Australia each year. Uh, interesting the way things will develop and with the cultural changes that happen with the overturning of Roe versus Wade, be interesting to follow along how those sorts of figures and where they actually come from and how accurate they are, how they might reflect our Australian culture into the times to come so far as our population and fertility and abortion. Pat, thank you so much for your call. Taking calls on 1-800-316-316. Let's take another call. Philip is in Albany in WA. Hi, Philip. Good morning. Philip, what are your thoughts? Uh, look, <clears throat> I mean, the, the Bible tells us that there will be a falling away in the last day. However, my concern with uh, the, um, the, the census process is that lobby groups like uh, uh, the atheists are allowed to instruct the Australian population on commercial, you know, uh, uh, radio, TV, etc. If you don't go to church, uh, and they specifically targeted Christians, then reply, no religion. So here is, uh, you know, uh, directions and, and interference in an otherwise independent process carrying on, uh, whereas, um, you know, Christians weren't allowed to have any input into the process by saying, oh, look, you know, um, if you still, like, you know, identify as Christian or have a faith in God, then it's yes. So that's my thought. Good thoughts, Philip. And uh, the tensions are in the politics, aren't they? And uh, if the atheists have the upper hand and they are having more influence on the politics and the way those things look, then what is that saying about whether the Christians are actually rising to the occasion to make their side heard? Uh, let's get a thought or two. Uh, uh, Jeff, your thoughts uh, for Philip? Yeah it's, yeah, it's a great uh, observation, and I think one of the interesting things is this question is around religious affiliation, and it's grouped in a series of questions around our cultural identity. And certainly there's questions around our ancestry and more Australians identify with an English ancestry. Uh, we've got questions around what country were you born in? We've got questions around what language is spoken in the home. And so religion as uh, I guess over these previous generations and decades has been, and even centuries, has been a cultural uh, Topic. It's certainly been something if the house uh, was an Anglican house, we were Anglicans. If we're um, Catholic, we're Catholic. It's a almost in our Anglo uh, cultures, it's been a it's an area we've we've fought over. It's pretty strong the perception around our cultural identity. The unique thing is we live in postmodern times where we are a much more individualistic and pluralistic society. And the religion question is is something that it's a helpful question in the census. However, one question trying to understand all that we think about when it comes to religion is just not going to cut it in terms of the way we want to understand how our worldview uh, beliefs we hold, the behaviours we practise, uh, the way we belong to communities we certainly see in our society polarising worldviews. We see different worldviews that struggle to get along. We see worldviews that love to get along. And certainly, I think that one question is is a very simple approach to understanding religion. And when people can uh, 
be persuaded in that response option. I think it's certainly a unique um, question, even in that it's an optional question in the census. You don't actually have to tick it. But this time around, more people ticked uh, a response to the religion question. And I think that's helpful because it's giving us a more accurate uh, understanding of where Australians are at. Now, at Macrindle, we really are curious about uh, people's worldviews and how we live. And so we've done plenty of studies trying to understand uh, faith and belief in Australia, knowing that we're a multicultural, multi-faith society. Uh, so there are other studies out there that do delve into more than just this one census question. Well, we've got Philip, a multicultural, multi-faith society, and we were talking about migrant numbers. Uh, people come to Australia with their own religion. Uh, that that impacts on this number every time we look at it on a census, doesn't it, uh, Jeff? Yeah, that's right. We've got some uh, some data on that. The uh, I guess countries of birth and the religions of those uh, countries is slowly rising in Australia. The largest uh, growth has been in those identifying with no religion. And I think that echoes back to the point I made around our individualistic approach. We may have a, a spirituality, a faith, but that doesn't mean it's connected to a religious organisation. And certainly, I think, uh, even within a Christian um, circle, uh, I understand that there is that... Um, tension around that word religiosity it can sometimes have some negative connotations so some christians might not want to associate with a religious organization believing it's more about uh, the christian faith is more about a relationship and so it's certainly the the semantics of that question uh, are hindered for some christians i think there is education in churches around how to respond to that question however the Christian community in Australia, uh, I think, certainly has diversity across the practice of faith attendance, and that is a challenge for some. Uh, it's certainly, a, I think, a unique thing that while we have 44% uh, of Australians identifying as Christians, the data from the National Church Life Survey shows that over the past decade, church attendance had actually remained quite steady at about 16% of Australians attending church at least monthly. So what I'm trying to make the point is that our cultural, almost ancestral association to faith has been declining, which probably wasn't a faith that was personally lived out. And so I actually think the latest data is probably getting closer and closer to a more accurate reflection of where our society sits and where individuals sit. And I've seen plenty of articles uh, making that point, people like uh, John Dickinson uh, emphasising that, saying that this is actually getting us closer to probably a real picture of where Australia's faith position is. Philip, thank you so much for your call. Our talkback line open, 1-800-316-316. As we talk about those uh, Christianity numbers, the drop into 44%, uh, the thought that the lower the numbers go, the more intense uh, will be the faith in those numbers that are reflected in that 44%. The other figure that's important in there, Jeff, is the rise of the no religion uh, box, uh, where that's really hitting some record highs. And next time there's a census, it may well be even rivaling the numbers of people who are identifying as Christian. That might be a concern for some, but that's certainly the trend, isn't it? That that no religion is on the rise. Yeah, that's correct. It's it's a trend that I think we uh, have been watching very closely since that question was introduced almost five decades ago. Uh, this uh, question really gives an indication of the rise of people uh, who don't identify with a faith. And certainly in Australia, in a 
pluralistic, multicultural society, what some might call a post-Christian society. I'm not completely sold on that, but I think the point is that this rising cohort of people who don't identify with a religious worldview, it's a really helpful statistic to understand because does that mean it's about a religious organisation but they might still be open to spirituality? And I think there's this SBNR cohort, the spiritual but not religious group that, that might be ticking, I'm not religious, but I am spiritual. And what that spirituality might look like is a pluralistic uh, blending of different beliefs from different faiths and certainly uh, something that as Christians, we would see that's not quite getting the gospel message of uh, Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. However, the point of understanding people's worldview and their faith position is that one census question, it just doesn't quite give us enough to understand all the differences in the different segments within that growing cohort of people who don't identify with a religious affiliation. Jeff, can we correlate uh, what's happening with those numbers identifying as Christian? Uh, as we said, there's issues around migrants. But what about the ageing demograph- demographic as well? Because uh, there's a sense in which uh, some are suggesting that as uh, the baby boomers grow old and eventually die, sorry about the uh, imagery there for uh, baby boomers listening in, but the thought that population will eventually fall off a cliff and there'll be a, a big demographic in that balloon at the, the top end of those ageing Australians uh, that they will die uh, in some sense quickly. That's going to affect the uh, the religion figures too, isn't it? Yeah, this will be the probably the two to three decades of watching that trend. I don't think that's going to happen too quickly uh, for all the listeners in that cohort, but I think... I agree. I think that will be one of the curious things that a younger generation in Australia are more likely to identify with no religion. We do have greater cultural diversity in our younger generations, uh, particularly from an Asia-Pacific era of migration. We're in the Asian century. And so certainly with our growing Indian uh, community, we will have people of faith, uh, just of different world religions. And so this is a area we saw in the latest uh, census results that the rise uh, proportionally, the percentage point rise of Sikhism was 67%, Hinduism was 55%, Islam was 55%, Judaism 10% and Buddhism 9%. The decline of 9% uh, percentage points for Christianity was, I guess, one of the key talking points. It was the first news article I saw uh, when I looked into uh, media after seeing the census had come out. And I think this understanding of our religious background, uh, I guess we're a nation that's built on different religious ideas. And as a nation, I think our notion of understanding how we live is very different based on those beliefs. And so that's why it's such an important talking point. And as we look to the decades ahead with greater cultural diversity, uh, potentially a greater mix of religions in our community, it will be interesting. And, and I think with that younger more multi-faith society, the openness is, in one of our McCrindle surveys, it shows that openness to faith is actually higher amongst younger generations. So while the baby boomer generation um, maybe are a bit um, more settled in their belief positions, whatever that might be, younger generations are actually a little bit more open to conversations, open to invitations to worship services. And so I think that's a helpful thing to understand that while there might be a smaller percentage point identifying as Christian in the census, those opportunities for conversations about faith are certainly available in our society today, 
let alone into the decades ahead. You know, there's conversation starters in all of that around the leadership tables in every local church in Australia, around the details of the shrinking number of those who are identifying as Christian, uh, but also the opportunities that open up. There's another aspect here that certainly could be impacted by the lower numbers of Christians or those identifying as Christian in Australia, Jeff, and that comes around the thought of servanthood and perhaps how community-minded we are because even at a governmental level there must be concern as to the numbers of volunteers. Perhaps they're shrinking. Well, you might have the details here, but those who are serving, maybe serving in the military. How service-minded are we? What are the statistics showing about that? Because that may well be getting impacted by this lower number in the statistics around Christianity. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think the community-minded nature of Australians is something that we really celebrate, the the culture of mateship, of sacrifice. It's the Anzac spirit uh, that lives in each of us and is a core value of the Australian people. And the start, uh, the statistic, uh, I made up a new word there, starter, the, the <laughs> statistic and the data on volunteering is actually showing a decline in the last census. And it's at 14% of Australians had volunteered. Now, that was in the last 12 months, down from 19% in 2016. Now, if we cut the data, though, on that one by the states, we can see that the biggest decline is in the East Coast in New South Wales and Victoria. The data there was showing only 13% of people had volunteered. And that was where the lockdowns had been the longest and the, uh, the strictest as well. And so, Volunteering was quite stable across many of the other states and territories. Those states impacted by lockdowns had had that slight dip. And the volunteering, I think, is one of those, it's one of those incredible opportunities that people have in Australian society to be known, to be able to contribute, to use your talents and your gifts, use your skills, experience, all that knowledge that people have. And as we've got an ageing population, that experience and wealth of uh, skills, life skills, life experience is something that can be passed on from one generation to the next. And that can happen in groups like whether it's park runs, whether it's community gardens, they might be church-based groups or community-based groups and council-run groups. And I'd encourage your listeners to really seize those opportunities for meeting new people in community and inviting new people into those groups, whether they're church-based or community-based groups. The point is with our migration numbers, particularly if you live in an area that's been undergoing a bit of churn, which is where people have had to move out, people are moving in, you might find that there's a real opportunity for building connections and volunteering is certainly one of those key ways that we want to see people connect. Now, you did also mention the data around defence. Defence is such an interesting story. It's the first time this question has been asked in the census and it really gives us a new glimpse into the Australian population. Now the latest uh, data shows I believe, I'm just trying to grab that data while I'm chatting, but I believe the data on defence shows that we have, I think it was, uh, oh forgive me, I think think it's about 100,000, 100,000 serving and the total number of people who had served in the past uh, was uh, 500,000 people. So while we've got a community of uh, people wearing the uniform, 
there is an even greater cohort, 500,000 people in our society who were, uh, were serving and uh, defending our land. So a real thank you to every person in service. Apologies I didn't have that stat right in front of me at the, at the start there, but I think that's the key point is that we have for every person who's serving, there are another five people behind them wearing that hidden uniform that they used to wear in the past. Jeff, running short of time, another important aspect of those census figures uh, might be in the rising cost of living. And given that we all filled out our census forms in August last year and we were in the middle of a pandemic, cost of living was beginning to rise. People are feeling that all the more now. And so the current feeling might not be reflected in the statistics. But uh, so far as cost of living, uh, housing prices, this sort of impact on Australians, what can we glean from those census figures? Yeah, we've got an increase in the household income. However, the cost of housing has been going up. Uh, what I think is probably the big challenge, though, is the proportion of people experiencing rental stress. And nationally, that's over 30% of renters are experiencing rental stress. And so the cost of rent uh, is putting pressure on the household budget, and that's going to mean an impact, and we're already hearing it from uh, food relief organisations that are getting an influx of numbers. So while we've not seen major changes in the way we uh, live in terms of our home ownership, we've still got, uh, it's a, almost a third in each of these three categories. The three categories are we've got almost a, a third renters, 31% of Australian households are renters, 31% own the home outright, which has declined because there's a greater uh, proportion, 35% of Australian households are owned with a mortgage and that mortgage is greater than ever with the cost of housing. And so certainly I think a challenge facing not just government, but every organisation, every community, every church is this uh, cost of living issue. And so looking to provide relief, whether that's in transport, whether that's in food, whether that's in uh, ways we can socialise and connect that don't hit the uh, hip pocket, that's going to be a key thing moving forwards for our Australian community. One more last one to squeeze in here. And while we're talking about what happened in the pandemic and there's stress on those households so far as renting goes, uh, but while there was lots of hand handouts of that stimulus cash during the pandemic, uh, from what I understand, there was a rise in car purchases. Is there any detail you can share with us around uh, cars and household increase? Yeah, the car story is a fascinating one, and uh, Australians love their cars. Now, we were beginning to adopt things like active transport. Public transport uh, continues to receive lots of government investment into the infrastructure to help us get around, get to work, and so particularly in, I guess, this census, uh, if the pandemic hadn't happened, I think we might have seen a slight dip in our car ownership rates, but the car ownership is 1.8 cars per household. However, when you look at where car ownership is highest uh, in terms of the number of cars per household, if you look at areas that have two or more cars per household, you can see in areas like Camden in uh, Sydney, it's a southwest growth corridor. You can see places like the Surf Coast in Victoria. It's certainly those kind of peri-urban areas, those fringe uh, great locations, locations that have been growing really fast, but there isn't service infrastructure there. And for people who live in those areas, they still need to get around, get into the office, and certainly car ownership is a part of our culture. 
with inflation though, what will be the next five years? Uh, I look forward to chatting more, Neil, in five years when the next round of census data comes out because I anticipate that car ownership will decline. We are more and more living in higher density dwellings. We've got half a million people living in buildings that have nine or more stories. We've got two and a half million people living in apartments and the idea of building more apartments to some might be a horror story, but to others it's the hope of a better life because it means you don't need to have a car because you've got a walkable, accessible, beautiful community with parks. It's not a concrete jungle, it's a, a beautiful urban oasis, a botanic-inspired living vertical community. Treehouse may be inspired, but it's certainly something that I think the future of Australia will see greater urban dwelling in areas that aren't car dependent. And we've certainly built our cars around a, a sprawl and crawl model, that suburban uh, development. And I think there's plenty of pain points with that. It doesn't provide time saving when you've got to spend half an hour getting to work and half an hour getting home every day. Whereas the walkable urban lifestyle, I think has a lot of attractions, particularly to younger generations, particularly to those of uh, Asian migration. And certainly plenty of uh, Australian borns uh, would be loving that lifestyle as well in our cafe culture, where we'd rather sip lattes than start lawnmowers on a Saturday morning. I think that's the uh, benefits of it, that we save time when we live in apartments, we save costs of car ownership. Uh, so the car industry probably doesn't want to hear that, but I think that's one of the interesting stories in the Australian future as we live more and more in vertical communities. That's what things might look like as we continue to grow. And if we grew by 2 million in the last five years, uh, likelihood another 2 million or more over the next five. And you just never know, Jeff. That might be a little prophetic. You and I might be do doing this same conversation five years from now. We shall see. Social researcher Jeff Braley from McCrindle Research. Uh, wonderful insights into the census, those changing trends in Australia. Uh, Jeff did mention that there is an infographic that you'll be able to download when you go on to the McCrindle website. The infographic on Australia Street makes a little bit of a uh, graphic visual image a little more easy to understand when we talk about the sorts of changes we're going through. Let me point listeners to mccrindle.com.au. mccrindle.com.au. Jeff Braley, thanks so much for sharing your insights with us today on 2020. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.